Let's pray together. Our Father, all we need do is, is merely seek to remember all that you have done. And indeed, our hearts will be filled with worship. An ascription of praise, an ascription of worth to the God who has redeemed us out of a house of bondage into a house of freedom. Who has transferred us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. A God who loved his people so that he sacrificed his only begotten son so that we might not ever know condemnation and enjoy an eternity of felicity and bliss in the presence of the thrice holy God. Our Father, indeed, might what you hear coming from the hearts and souls of your people today give you pleasure as we seek to engage in that high and holy calling of worship. Our Father, bless now what we contribute to the ongoing of the kingdom. Every dime is sacred, and we pray that it will be used for one purpose and one purpose only, the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. As we continue our study there, we'll be we'll resume our study at chapter 2, verse 5. It's a very lengthy text, um, but, so you'll have to bear with me. And I, tried to read, I try to read a little bit faster when the texts are so long. So if you will um, follow as I read in your copies of God's Word, Acts chapter 2 at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what the prophet, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the, pre- by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God, oh, it endures forever. Ladies and gentlemen, in the book of Acts, there are some 19 sermons that are recorded and included in in this one book. Some are preached by Peter and Paul, one by Stephen, 19 of them. This is the first one, the first sermon recorded in the gospel of, in the, in the book of Acts preached by Peter. You can understand, of course, why seminaries are very interested in the book of Acts, because they take you there to try and teach you how to preach. They take you to these 19 sermons or messages, and they and they analyze those messages so that in hopes you might learn some principles of preaching. Um, you might understand why I would be particularly interested in a sermon preached by Peter. If I'm going to preach like anybody, let me preach like Peter. Um, I, I'll take Peter and the, and the sermons of the uh, book of Acts anytime over any uh, other sermons that I might hear. But um, I'm not here to make you uh, preachers. I am one. I hope you've noticed. And uh, I've been in this, uh, this calling for almost 27 years. And I've had some wonderful experiences and some memorable experiences I, um, I got a fax this week from um, a dear woman who was telling me about a, um, a sermon that was preached by Rod Barnes, the uh, basketball coach at the University of Ole Miss. 
I can't believe I'm saying something nice about Ole Miss. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, Rod Barnes had preached in a little church in Duck Hill, Mississippi. Well, I preached in Duck Hill, Mississippi before. I hope he preached in a different church that I preached in. Uh, at church that day were nine people and 47 wasps. It was in the middle of the summer and the windows were open and it was hot as blue blazes and there were nine people there. And I, I promise you, there were more wasps than there were people. And we were dodging wasps the whole time I was preaching. It, it was it was not very fun. I, I, my, my first sermon I ever preached was in Munford, Tennessee, right up the road. I feel sorry for those poor people. I also remember one time preaching in Fayette, Mississippi, the home of Medgar Evers. And um, preaching there. In the, and, of course, when you arrived, when I was in seminary, uh, you know, they got us these little preaching assignments during the weekend. It uh, helped us practice our uh, our calling and... Well, in this particular uh, weekend, they, I walked in and they handed me the order of worship that I was supposed to conduct. And um, so they just, you know, hand me that and the ghost sit down and it's all yours, Bubba. And don't know my name and I don't know theirs. And, and so I commenced to go through the order of worship. And, of course, there in a, as a part of their worship service is the Lord's Prayer. Well, now, guys, I'd only been a Christian about a year and a half. Uh, maybe two years. Maybe two years. I've been a Christian two, two years. I had come from a Methodist background. All my life, I'd been, I'd, been, I'd been raised in a Methodist church. And so it came to the Lord's Prayer. And so I began to lead the, uh, the congregation in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I, I cannot tell you to this day what happened. But in the middle of that thing, I forgot it. A complete blank. And instead of the congregation going on without me, <laughs> they stopped too. And so there we sat, <laughs> eyes bowed, I mean, eyes closed, heads bowed, silent. And I am in utter panic trying to remember <laughs> the Lord. Gang, I do know the Lord's Prayer, I promise. But it, in this instance, I forgot it. And, and, and finally, when I remembered anything close to it, I was back to trespassers and trespassing. And, and that was my Methodist days. And I was in a Presbyterian church, and they debt and debtors. And uh, I, I just, I, I'll never forget. And then I had to go on and preach after such a moving experience. I'll tell you one other story. It wasn't about me. It was, um, it was about a friend of mine. In fact, uh, we had a chapel service one year at, at seminary where we were asked to tell stories that, that uh, were memorable to us in our, in our preaching experiences. And this guy told a story about going into this, this church, a very ornate, old, downtown, first church. And the pulpit was ascended in the middle and you had to walk up to it and everything. And so he was out there preaching his little heart out and, and uh, trying to be and making his points emphatic. And so on one particular point, he slammed his fist on the pulpit. And having done so, the, the, the impact of his doing this, I guess, produced enough wind power to blow all of his notes down on the floor. And just fluttered, you know, rather gently to the floor. And he stood there for a minute or two and looked at the congregation and said, I need those. <laughs> and so down he went and, out and picked up all of his notes you know, and back it up. And he, off he went. I, I've been preaching, ladies and gentlemen, for 27 years, really more than that. But I've never had an experience like this. The one that Peter, Peter experienced. Never. Nothing remotely resembling what happened to Peter here when he preached his first sermon. Oh, some odd experiences indeed. 
but nothing to compare to what Peter experienced here. I want to show you that, and I want to go through the sermon rather hurriedly, um, because it's pretty simple to understand at least what's happening here. As you know, in the, what Luke tells us in the first 13 verses is, as the result of Pentecost, all these people are out in the streets preaching the great works of God, and, and, and people from all over the world are hearing the gospel in their own language. It's a pretty uh, impressive roll call of nations that is mentioned there in, the, in uh, the verses 9 and 10 and 8, and right in there. And um, as a result of hearing this, they ask a question. Whatever could this mean? That's verse 12. That's what prompted Peter to preach in the first place. These, this gathering of nations are hearing things. They're engaged in such a spectacle that they cannot explain that they, they step back and say, what on earth is going on here? And um, some of the crowd uh, are so mystified by what they're watching, they conclude... Oh, they're just a bunch of drunks. They're drunk. That's, the, that's how to explain this. And so Peter, having heard their question and their analysis of the question, steps forward and says, wait. And thus you get his first sermon. No, 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 no. What you see here is not a bunch of drunk people. But what you do see here is the fulfillment of a prophetic utterance that Joel had made centuries earlier. And he begins to demonstrate why what they're seeing in verses uh, 17 and following, that what they're, what they're experiencing is simply fulfilled prophecy. And having done that, he comes to, I guess, what you would call the second point of his sermon in verse 22. Having told them about the uh, fulfillment of Joel, Joel, he now moves, I think, to what is really the main theme of his sermon and, and looking at his audience and saying, I know you want to know what all this means. Well, let me tell you, I can only explain it to you in terms of a person. Jesus of Nazareth. If you want to understand, that's what he says in this verse 22 and 23. If you're going to understand what you're witnessing, it's got to be understood in, the, in, the, in terms of a person. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. And then, ladies and gentlemen, what he says in verses 22 and 23, I'm telling you, I just marvel at what he said. I wonder, I wonder if the preacher at Grace Evangelical Church has got the guts to say what he said. He says, listen, listen to me. This man attested by God by miracles and signs and wonders... This, uh, you yourselves saw them being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You, you with wicked hands. <laughs> wow. I mean, there's not but 200 of them there. If a riot erupts, he's in trouble. You. You, by lawless hands, have crucified. That's pretty bold uh, preaching, don't you think? You know, one of the things that, if you were going to study this sermon as a sermon, one of the things that you would say is, he doesn't pull any punches. 
He never waters down his message. Peter never steps up on that podium and wonders, I wonder if my audience is really going to like this. I wonder if this is going to address their felt needs. I wonder if they'll walk out of here with a great sense of having heard something that was user-friendly. You, says Peter, under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you crucified him with wicked hands. But I'm also here to tell you that this sentence that was passed by human judges upon this Jesus and then human executioners carried out It has been reversed. It has been overturned by a higher court. And he's been raised from the dead, Peter says in verse 24. And then in verses 25 through 28, he he mentions again, using uh, an Old Testament passage out of Psalm 16, he validates his claims from the Old Testament, affirming that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was all the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then in those next couple of verses, verses 29 through 32 or so, he points out that those verses that he just quoted from Psalm 16 could never possibly refer to David. And then he brings you to what he thinks is the answer to the question that they asked back in verse 12. What can this possibly mean? Verse 33, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And then another, therefore, in verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. (laughs) What a sermon. He uh, makes his points, he establishes them and validates them by the Old Testament. And then he says, the only conclusion that any reasonable person can draw from what you've just witnessed is that God has made this Jesus. You remember him, the one you crucified? God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I began by saying... I've experienced a lot of funny little things and odd little things in 27 years of preaching. But I have never experienced what happens next. It is as if that the people, the audience, won't let Peter finish his sermon. They interrupt him. Wait, 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 Peter. Okay, okay. We heard you. We got it. Peter, Peter. Can you not hear the, the fear in their voices when they say, men and brethren, What shall we do then? I mean, poor Peter doesn't get to finish his sermon. He's got a poem that he wants to to read. He's got another point of his sermon. But people are so moved by the foolishness of preaching that there is a blessed disorder that breaks out. Tell us, Peter, Tell us what we must do. And what follows in those next few verses, ladies and gentlemen, is a description of how one might become a member of the church. Or 
It's a description of how one might become a Christian. Something has happened to these people. And we're told later, and we'll see, I think next week, in verse 41, that 3,000 people, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That morning, there were 3,000 people that woke up, on, uh, woke up on one side of a spiritual fence, and before the day was out, they were on the other side of the spiritual fence. Something's happened to them. How do you explain what happened to them? How do you explain what took place that brought about this complete change from one side of the fence to the other? How does that happen? I know. I know what it was. It was Peter's preaching. It was those illustrations that he must have used. Peter, his logic, maybe. No, ladies and gentlemen, it was none of that. It was not the stellar preaching of Peter. How do you explain this statement that is mentioned in verse 37? That they were cut to the heart. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how good the preacher is. Or even how bad he is. I don't care how good his points are or his exegesis or his illustrations. I cannot cut you to the heart. How are we to understand what goes on here, ladies and gentlemen? We understand it in the terms of the power of the Holy Spirit using a frail uneducated man that takes his words and drives them into the hearts and souls of people such that they come to the conclusion, what must we do? There's something that goes on inside these people, ladies and gentlemen. And what it was was the Holy Spirit using God's Word and then applying it to the heart of people. Because left to himself, ladies and gentlemen, people don't even like this message. In the 21st century in which we live, Peter, the people come so that they can learn how to use a Hewlett-Packard computer. They come to get their felt needs met. The pulpits of the land start with the problem and then try to find some solution for it in the Bible. Instead of starting with the... I don't see Peter doing that. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'll probably say this again. But I wonder how many churches in America would tolerate this sermon if it was preached to them. I wonder how many congregations in America will sit idly by to be called murderers in need of repentance. I want you to take uh, one more step with me and then I'm, I'll finish this. What exactly is it that the Holy Spirit does to these people? Now, I know this is rather simplistic, but it's, it's, a, it's a point that needs to be made, I think. What is it that the Holy Spirit does 
as he cuts them to the heart. Well, in general, or generally speaking, here's what's taking place. For the first time, these people have begun to think specifically about Jesus. They are confronted with the claims of Jesus Christ on their lives. Truth, perhaps for the first time, is staring them in the face. Now, guys, think about this. This is a crowd of people that about 50 days ago were standing in another crowd, and some of the crowd to which Peter preaches on this day were in that crowd hollering, Hey, why don't we crucify him? Hey, give us Barabbas. We'd much rather have Barabbas. And now they stand in this crowd, pleading, what must I do? Because the Holy Spirit of God has taken the truth of God and confronted men with Jesus of Nazareth. That's what's happened here. People begin to think about him in a brand new way. They face this person of Jesus Christ to whom for years they have been indifferent. They face this person of Jesus Christ that for years they even mocked and were perhaps even hostile. What the Holy Spirit does, ladies and gentlemen, is change what we think about Jesus. I used to think this, but when the Holy Spirit cuts us to the heart, we begin to think afresh about the claims of the Lord of glory. Guys, um, it is only when the Holy Spirit brings you to a sense of your need for a Savior that you will begin to ask, what must I do? One of the beauties of this text, at least in my mind, is that Peter's got an answer. What if they'd asked the question and Peter had gone, I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I know this. You crucified him with wicked hands, but I, I, for the life of me, I can't tell you what to do now. But the beauty of the text, ladies and gentlemen, is that he does tell them what to do. And, of course, he summarizes it in that great word. Repent. Confess that your sins have made you guilty before a holy God. And then give yourself to Jesus Christ, who alone can separate you from your sin and grant forgiveness. Let me say three quick things. Ladies and gentlemen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a preacher, he comes upon him not to make him eloquent or to make him sophisticated or cute or humorous. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a preacher, he comes upon him so that that preacher might be better enabled to preach Christ simply. Is that what you get here? 
Secondly, the preaching that produces this kind of conviction of sin is that which proceeds from the presentation of the Lordship of Christ. This text, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 36, that says that you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Gang, there is a debate within the Christian church about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whether you preach lordship salvation or whether you don't preach lordship salvation, uh, you know it's a it's a grand debate. It, it went uh, it went forward in in, a, in a, a couple of books, three or four books that were written over one on the west coast and one in Texas, and this guy answered that guy. And this. I just want you to know this: I don't know what you've made Jesus Christ, but I know what God has made him. God has made him both Lord and Christ. If someone told you, ladies and gentlemen, that you can have Jesus as your Savior now, and you can get Him as your Lord later, they lied to you. Because God has made Him both Lord and Christ. And it's that kind of preaching, ladies and gentlemen, when the absolute supremacy of Christ is declared in all of its beauty. That produces such conviction of sin that people cry out, What must I do? Finally, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what went through the mind of Peter as he preached. There's a sense in which I envy him Because he never sat down for a week to prepare to preach. I do. I sit down at my desk at the office and at the house and I, I try to put thoughts together and, but Peter didn't have time for that. He just stood up in the power of the Holy Spirit and preached something as marvelously productive as this. But when I sit to preach or to prepare a sermon, I, I'm trying to say things that will, you know, will keep you awake and, I'm trying to do things that will illustrate my point, and and there does creep into my mind again and again. Oh my goodness! I hope I hope this doesn't run anybody off, ladies and gentlemen. You think I'm any different than you? I want to be loved just like you want to be loved. My point is, I don't think that thought ever crossed the mind of the Apostle Peter. The preaching, ladies and gentlemen, that will produce 3,000 transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light is preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit that declares the absolute supremacy of Christ, bringing conviction of sin, and then Pointing people to the only solution there is. Christ. He is our only solution. Let's pray together. Our Father, I I do pray that you will, by the Holy Spirit of God, take what's been said And what's been sung and what's been prayed and that you will, by your grace, 
Do the same thing today which we see you doing in Acts 2, that you will bring about conviction to the hearts of men and women. Conviction about what they think about Jesus Christ. No longer to be indifferent. Never more to think that he is not needed for one's salvation. O God, might Christ in all of his beauty be placarded from this pulpit so that again and again men will see him and the Holy Spirit will change the thinking of men about him so that they might be drawn to a posture of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, as always, in that matchless name. Amen.